so what are you looking at? What has you excited? What are the things that, that you invested in a company recently, but what more kind of more things that, that, that you know, or are you looking at other things? Well, what should we be doing? I mean, if, if we were going to model ourselves, because a lot of the folks here, they're adding an e-com component to it, or they're launching, or they're, they're thinking about pivoting, you know, their, their business maybe just a little bit. Um, what direction would you suggest we take if we wanted to appeal to someone like yourself? You know, it, it's interesting. It's like every time you think everything's been done, it hasn't. Right? You wake up every day and you're like, gosh, there's no more opportunity. And then something pops up. Right? So, so I, I, I'm a firm believer that, that things are always being innovated on and, and new bottles will always be created. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Welcome to another episode of Business Lunch. And today's a snackable episode with Roland where he's going to get into some more tactical strategies that you can start using to live a rich and happy life. If this is the first snackable episode you're hearing, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes that Roland has put out. And if you want to get notified every time we release a new episode, go to the new businesslunchpodcast.com website and we'll send you detailed notes along with every episode. That's businesslunchpodcast.com, www businesslunchpodcast.com and you can sign up for the free email newsletter where you'll be able to get all the highlights and resources from the episodes. Welcome Mr. Brian Leave with us this afternoon. Let's give him a big hand and we're going to have a fireside chat with Roland and Ryan as well as with Brian. Us. Welcome I feel like that was like the, Gill the old Gilligan's Island one where it's Brian Lee and the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Roland. So uh, thanks again for, for flying all the way, taking the red eye from Los Angeles. Thank you for having me. There's a lot of other uh, Californians out here. So they are, I think, uh, uh, yeah, woo, all right, California, in the house. Um, <laughs> the things for you and like a, tens of millions of other people. Um, but uh Thank you, thank you again for coming all the way out here. I know everybody here appreciates it, given all of the, you know, success that you've had with starting commerce companies and 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 building. Uh, it really, I, I think, without realizing it, without knowing that you were doing it, building kind of some model content and commerce uh, type company. So it's fun for us just to get get a chance to to chat with you and and let let these fine folks listen in. Awesome, thank you. So um, you you you've done uh, quite a few diverse things in legal Zoom. So legal, which then leads to shoes. Obviously, I can see the connection there. And then lawyers wear shoes. And then lawyers wear shoes. And then uh, honest with uh, with baby things and going into other things. Or I know um, that uh, legal and shoe were your ideas, right? Originally, right. How do you come up with these things and start them? Yeah. So I think, um, like many of you, I, I think I was just born to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I always had it in me to to start something. Um, like ever since I was in, in, in grade school, I would be like, you know, I would make my own little mazes and try to sell them to the other kids for 10 cents, you know, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think for legal zoom, uh, you know, I ended up going to law school and working at a, a pretty nice firm, but it wasn't that fulfilling to me. And so I, I, I kind of wanted to get back to, to starting a company. And I remember, um, one of my partners asked me to form a corporation for a client and I, I formed it and took 10 minutes. 
right? Because it's just a check the box form. And then when the billing came, you know, you had to approve your hour, your, your, your billing rates and everything. And um, it was $2,000 next to it. And I, and I told the partner, I go, you know, I think it only took me 10 minutes, but it has 2000. And he's like, that's our standard fee for incorporating. They used to said, wow, that's a lot of margin in law. <laughs> I started to say, wow, a lawyer with a conscience. <laughs> but that's the, you were like, this is wrong. You're like, margin. margin. <laughs> and so I, I realized pretty quickly that, that you could probably automate. This is when the internet was first started, that you could automate a lot of this process and, and put it online, very similar to what, what QuickBooks was doing with accounting, as well as uh, what TurboTax was doing with, with tax software, that you could automate a lot of these very simple legal procedures. And that's the genesis of LegalZoom. Um, and we started that company, gosh, believe it or not, like 16 years ago. So it's been a while. I formed my very first company, really? Soft Niche Solutions, which is no longer in business because it didn't actually ever do anything. Um, but I, I formed my very first company on LegalZoom. Thank you. No joke. Yeah. I'll so. give you a discount on your next one. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anybody else? Has anybody else? Did you form your company on LegalZoom? Oh, people. Yeah. And it, um, it really yeah, was. It was, cool. it was. It was great for entrepreneurs, right? It, that, cool. that big aspect, uh, it, it leveled that playing field. So thank you for doing that for the entrepreneurial community as well. Thank you. So one of the, one of the questions we get from, uh, from a lot of the folks here is, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I have an idea or, or I am the only person in the business right now. Um, and I don't know, I want to automate legal, let's say, or something, but I don't know how to do that myself. How, how do you go about finding the people that can do the stuff so that you're not having to learn how to program in Ruby on Rails and things like that? Yeah, you know, for, for LegalZoom, we, we kind of got fortunate because um, a, a good friend of mine was working in a company called Sapient back in the day, and he was building websites. Uh, and we were talking to him about the idea because we knew we needed someone to, to actually build the site. Um, and he joined us as a co-founder. Okay. Uh, so that's how, how we started uh, with LegalZoom on the, on the coding side. But looking back at all the companies that I've started, it, it really does come down to knowing what you're capable of and understanding how to buttress your abilities, right? So for, for every company, you know, we vet you know, every person that we're bringing in, understanding what the structure of the, of the company should be moving forward. We, I, I tend not to hire, you know, a year in advance. I usually tend to hire like, you know, five days late. <laughs> Truthfully, is kind of like <laughs> the most out of your, your talent and then hiring only when you need. Um, Do you think, but I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that's what a lot of I, that's what we've done also more as a function of need, right? You don't always have the funding there to do that. Right. So, I mean, in, in a lot of your ventures, you have had the funding there, but so has that been a conscious thing? Do you feel like that's the right way to approach hiring and growing the team and getting the people like, like Roland talked about, waiting until you, you know, until, until you've utilized all the resources you have? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, you could definitely, if you have enough funding, you could definitely hire a little bit ahead of the curve so you're not constantly, you know, battling from behind. Um, but in terms of, you know, growth versus profitability, right? You know, you want to hire as few people as possible to get to profitability, but, but you also want that growth. And for me, it really all depends on number one, the company, right? But number two, the the macro economic uh, situation of, of of funding and venture capital, right? So if funding is is readily available, then I'm looking for growth, right? When funding is not there, then you're looking for profitability. But even when you seek growth, you always want to have in your head 
a clear path to profitability. Because at some point, to be a great business, you've got to be profitable. We all know that, right? But what is that level? I mean, can you get to, you know, can you be Amazon? Can you get to 20 billion in revenue and not be profitable and no one cares, right? Or, or, or even Facebook or, or Google, none of these companies were profitable until they got to scale. And then you turn on, you know, the spigot and, and you start um, making money. Uh, so it all depends on the type of business, the funding environment, but always with the eye towards how do we get profitable. What, and as far as kind of keeping tabs on that, are, what, what are the KPIs, what are the key performance indicators that you look at to see if, like, what do you watch on a daily basis? What's important to you to see, to know kind of how the business is doing? A lot of it, a lot of it is marketing, right? Which is why, you know, you're all here. Um, so for, for me, we, we pay very close attention to cost for acquisitions, what we call CPNS, which is a cost per new subscriber, because a lot of my businesses are subscription-based. Um, we look at LTVs, we look at, which is lifetime values. Oh, LTVs. Okay. Yeah. Lifetime value. It's LTB. It was like, yeah, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, really so we're fancy. I feel so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking at a lot of the, that type of KPI or okay. those KPIs. Um, we use a lot of different tools, digital tools to, to help us manage that. So we're working with like, uh, like sprinkler to manage social, uh, we work with, um, Domo for our dashboards, uh, Boost CTR. We work with uh, Optimizely to to optimize the site. Um, a lot of great digital tools out there, and we're constantly and the, the the trick to, to growth is, as you guys know, is always testing the new products. I mean, we're we're always testing everything. Um, we spy so yeah. on uh, on you, your company, and and all the other fast growing companies. Uh, with a tool called Built With that tells us mm -hmm. the tech stack. And um, we found a tool that you're using called Retention Science, which we promptly contacted them and went out to Santa Monica and talked with them. And, uh, right. and it's been really cool. Um, so I, I, it's, it's, it's so important, I think, to us to stay on top of that and find the, the things that work. And uh, they said that that one in particular for you guys increased your six email welcome sequence by three times the conversion, which that's is right. crazy. That's right. I mean, there's some great tools out there that, that you could use even as a startup. And then as you start to scale further, once you start hitting, you know, tens of millions or the hundreds of millions of revenue, then you start bringing more of that in-house, of course, right? So right now we're very focused on diving pretty deep into data analytics and, and building tools off of what we're finding. Um, so for example, like our, our data team, to this great analysis of customer segmentation of our own customers, like where we're getting them and then basically scoring them on, you know, their likelihood to churn, right? And so we have a customer service team that get a lot of calls of cancellations or where's my order or can I add something to my order? And basically even as a call, now our CS reps have lights like if they're calling to cancel their, their subscription, we have lights that have red, yellow, or green now. Hmm. Because now we know like this person calling looks very similar to all these other customers that are low value to us. So just basically cancel them and, and, and move on to the next call. Yellow, they have a certain amount of sets to, to offer them. Green is save them no matter what. So you're not trying to save everybody. You're like, if you're not our ideal customer, we just assume, you know, part ways and kind of focus more on getting green light people, right? That's correct. That's a good point of optimization. So if you were to look back, whether it's whether it's honest or it's shoe dazzle or even going all the way back to LegalZoom, what were some of the things that you did that, that you recall uh, or that was done by your team that really moved the needle? 
that made a big difference. Because the problem with optimization is a lot of things that we try, just they don't do anything. It wasn't good or bad. It just made no difference. Right. So what were some of those needle movers? If you were to look back. You know, it's interesting you say that because most, most of the stuff that you do test doesn't move the needle, mm -hmm. right? But it's really like those little nuggets that you find that all add up. But there, there, there are no, you know, silver bullets, right? Everything is kind of built on each other and you, and you, you start optimizing 0.01% at a time. And when you look back, you're like, it worked, right? So initially your gut instinct being be like, oh, it only moved the needle by, by this much. But if you keep doing it, if you keep doing it, it, it starts to make a real impact. It's funny you say that because we, we have been talking a lot lately in our company uh, about it's not for us, it's not death by a thousand cuts. It's life by a thousand lifts. Right. And, it, and it is, it's just those little, those little wins. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like, I like uh, Ryan's question. If you, if you have anything like any moments that were, that you found yeah, those needle movers, that if you, guys. if you can say, especially, if you can't, it's totally cool. Especially early on, when you think about the early on, you're testing and you're trying so many things. And I know we're, you know, we're continually surprised. Was there anything with, you know, with honest early on, or did you just nail it right out of the Right out of the well, gate. I think Honest was a little bit different because I had learned so much really at LegalZoom and what works and what doesn't work yep. and she dazzle. Um, I always like to say, you know, you can make a mistake once and you'll probably make it again. If you make it twice, that's <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Honest Company was a little uh, more efficient, if you will, in terms of. So, what did you learn from, from Shoe Dazzle that you were able to apply, you know, over, over at Honest and aspect of the model? I think, I think. Yeah. Well, the number one thing was, was understanding, you know, churn levels, right? So, so, so how fast a customer churns out of a subscription and understanding, you know, the points of churn and anticipating that ahead of time to keep that customer longer. And that's something that's just been invaluable to us. So for example, I was talking about data analytics and, and how we're putting the yellow, green, and red. We do the same with, with you know, this is the type of customer that on average, after four and a half months, are likely to churn. And so at the four month period, we send them an offer and say, guess what? Next month, you're going to get a free tote bag with your order. It keeps them on just a little bit longer. And you, you keep doing that for, for, for every churn metric you know, that you have in your, in your, in your database. Very cool. Was uh, Honest, um, and I'm, I'm a little confused because I've read different things. Was Honest already going? Jessica had started it and then kind of came to you and said, hey, I got this thing, but I really need some help growing it or? No, no. Actually, um, Jessica Alba came to me about like nine years ago. I, I know her husband, Cash Warren, from around town and he was in, in, in e-commerce. So um, sat down with Jessica about nine years ago and she came to me and said, I have this great idea. I want to start this organic lifestyle brand. And I said, well, that, that sounds awesome. Um, I don't have time to do it. It's exhausting. Because <laughs> at that time, I was running LegalZoom. I was, I was just starting to shoot Azzle, and I introduced her to some friends. And then about, about five years ago now, she came back to me again and said, I'm still you know, thinking about this idea. really want you to help me start it. Um, and at that time, I, I had my first child, um, Davis. And um, I saw how my wife started changing her buying behavior. She started shopping at Whole Foods and making organic purees for the for the baby. Um, started buying, you know, eco-friendly diapers and so forth. And so I thought, well, maybe Jessica's onto something here, right? So I, I sat down with her again, and and basically, you know, she was so passionate about this, and 
I came to this this awakening moment too that that now if I'm going to do anything with my career, I want to have an impact, right? And and if I could, you know, build this business and and even help make this world a little bit more non toxic and safer and healthier, then why not? Right? This this will give me fulfillment. And so so we started the company um almost five years ago now. So when you had that meeting and said, okay, let's do it. What happens next? Like, what is it? Is it first go get money? Is it first go get team? And and how do you do? What are the steps? Like, yeah. So so for us, it was definitely first go get team, right? And so we brought on uh, Christopher Gavigan and Sean Kane. So Christopher Gavigan uh, comes from this non toxic world, if you will. So he was former CEO of Healthy Child, Healthy World. Um, and he basically built all of our initial products. Okay. And so then um, Sean Kane was an operator in town. Uh, he used to be at Price Grabber and some other companies out in Los Angeles. And so the four of us were the co-founders. Uh, then we raised capital to start the company. And then it was off to the races from there. What do you thought? I mean, every in every business you've done, you've, you've talked about having these co-founders that were doing this. Uh, obviously, the upside of that is help and expertise that you don't have. The downside is, is you don't have the, the whole thing anymore. Um, has that ever bugged you? Because I know as entrepreneurs, we struggle with that a little bit, right? Anybody who's starting something, do I want to divide up the pie? Am, am I okay with a small piece of a bigger pie? So how do you, how, has that ever been an issue with you? Yeah, or, it's never been an issue for me. Um, because I just figure if you get the pie big enough, there's enough pie for everybody, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so, so even with LegalZoom, I kind of fell into working with a celebrity. It was more a need, right? It was when, when we started LegalZoom back in 99, 2000, when we started working on it, um, trust was a big issue online. I'm not sure how many of you, you guys all look pretty young, but for those of you my age or older, I mean, you realize that a lot of people are even scared to put their credit card information online, let alone to give us their social security number, their kids' names and bank account for to, to make a living trust online. So so trust was an immediate factor. And and although I was working at a great firm and my partner was, no one had ever heard of these firms. Right. So that's when we contacted Robert Shapiro to kind of be the face of of LegalZoom and our our, our third co founder. Um because we wanted people to instantly recognize, okay, well I, at least I know this attorney, right? And I could trust the site. Um, so that's how, that's how it happened. But then what happened was that Robert Shapiro started going on to talk shows and, and talking about legal zing. And every time he did that, we would get more orders. I was like, wow, there's, there's something to this, right? <laughs> we don't have to spend any marketing dollars and we're getting all these orders. Um, so that's when I realized the power of influencers and, and, and celebrities. So you, you cold called Robert Shapiro at like 530 at night or something like that. Yeah. Just didn't know him or anything. And he happened to pick up the phone, right? Yeah. So that was incredibly serendipitous. Uh, and then Jessica, you met through uh, somebody that you already knew. And Kim, I think you met, Karshashian, you met through Robert Shapiro, right? So for those of us who do not have the stars aligned quite so well to have that kind of luck, if we want to attach a celebrity, how, how would you go about approaching that? Um, I, I would go about approaching it kind of the summer. Uh, well, number one, you got to think of any, you know, potential partner as a potential business partner, even if it's a celebrity, right? So, so a lot of people ask me like, well, what's it like? And this and that, it's like, just cause not 
you know, Jessica Alba, the actress in the office. You know, she's our, our business partner, yep. right? And so unless you approach it in that manner and understand that this is your partner, this is not going to just be a, a face to the brand. And look, you could always pay someone to be a face of a brand or, or you know, go out there and talk about something. But to, to truly have a partner, that's, that's a, a decision you have to make in terms of, you know, equity splits and, and how much involvement and everything else. So, you know, they're just like, everyone else in terms of, you know, potential business partners, but how, how I would approach it. If I didn't know these people directly, mm -hmm. the first thing you want to do is try to reach them directly. Right. Cause it, it's very difficult to go through, you know, talent managers and agents and, and, and so forth. And, and on top of that, talent managers, I mean, their jobs are to say no. Right. It's like, no, nope, not interested. Um, so try to, try to use your network as best as you can to see if you could get to that person directly as opposed to through a talent manager or, or an agent. And if you have to go through a talent manager or agent, there are definitely some agents and talent managers who are definitely more adver are more um, uh, active in terms of seeking out opportunities for their clients. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you just kind of have to, to meet enough of those people in, in Hollywood to, to understand who's who. So we've, we've had reasonable success by sending what we call a firm offer. So we will go direct because agents we find are very challenging and we'll just send a contract that says, if you sign this, then we'll pay you this much um, and kind of go from there. Once you have that initial contact, how do you, how do you decide equity splits and comp and stuff like that? Where, where, where do you start with that? You know, it's when it comes to without revealing the equity position of your business. Yeah, part, for sure. Yeah. Like, like just generally. Yeah. How much? How much she got? <laughs> like, go ahead. How much money does she make? Yeah. So, in, in terms of um, equity splits, mm -hmm. it, it's really the wild, wild west, right? That's and when I find I don't know where to start though. Yeah, there's, there's no standard. There's no no one. No one says you know if you're a C level actress or a C level singer, you get this much. There, there's no formula. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's um, you know, again, it, it, it's all negotiation. Where do you start? Like, or how, how, just because I know everybody has this challenge. Is, yeah. So where do you start? Do you, do you say 50-50 or do you say 6%? I mean, it's just, it's so, yeah. How do you do it? It really is. It really is. <laughs> I think it, a lot of it depends on how big the influencer is too. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, is Gary Coleman still alive? I don't know why that name popped. <laughs> Gary Coleman is is not, but it's oh. an amazing reference. So keep going. <laughs> yeah, so if it was like Gary Coleman, okay, so I could, he would get less because he's dead. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's like you might give Garrett, you're going to give Garrett Coleman less than you would give, you know, Brad Pitt, right? Yeah. It's just, there's there's a scale of- Unless Brad Pitt was things. willing to accept what we would give Garrett That's Coleman. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen deals get done for, for half a percent. I've seen deals get done for 80%, you know, it, which is kind of crazy, but, yeah. but it, it's, it, it's all across the board. Okay. Um, depending on, you know, how much involvement that celebrity is going to have. That's, that's the most important. Like if you're ever going to work with a celebrity as a partner, like a lot of these celebrities have a lot of other, you know, uh, responsibilities and, and, and things that they're working on. Um, so you have to, you have to make sure that you're going to get the appropriate amount of time and effort from them. Yeah. And I think the perspective that you had is a, is a good one. Um, they're a business partner. So I think you would almost have to approach it in the same manner that you would any other business partner you had that had a full-time job. That's right. So you're approaching and saying, this is going to be my whole thing. I'm all in. You're going to be part-time. Now, right. don't get me wrong. You're a big deal. And that's, <laughs> and that's great. But 
I'm all in on this. This is all I'm doing. You're going to be part-time on this. And then when your agent calls and you got a big movie and you got to flew and toboggan off to Hawaii to shoot for, you know, a couple of months, you're not going to be here and I am. So I think it, maybe that's how you would have that conversation. At least that's probably what, what I would have, how I would do it. And, and I think also thinking through, because I, I don't know if, if it was discussed ahead of time when you're talking to, you know, a Kim Kardashian, like, is it just we want to use your name or are you going to be actively promoting it on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Or is it just you got some association and it's kind of more just a brand deal. I'm, I'm guessing that factors into it as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of tough because I've seen contracts done for, for celebrities that say, you know what, every month you have to tweet five times. You have to post, you know, 20 messages on, on Instagram or, or, or whatnot. That tends not to work. Truthfully, the, the, it's kind of like if you if you were forcing any partner, like this is what yeah. you have to do, right? It's a partnership. A partnership is a relationship. It's, it's, it's not transactional. Yeah, and if you can't see eye to eye with with a potential partner, then you shouldn't be their potential partner. You shouldn't be partners, right? And so that's that's what I see. It's you're either in it or you're not, right? Tell me, tell me, tell me how much you want to work on this, and let's go from there. How about um, how about team non celebrity? The other team members. How do you? Um, how do you how do you think about bringing them in? Do you offer equity, stock option plans, those kinds of things? Not in a, a bigger company like Honest has become, but like when you're kind of getting started out. Yeah, I think that's one of the greatest tools any entrepreneur can have are, are, are stock options. Um, so at all three companies, I think every employee has stock options. Okay, and of course the earliest employees get bigger stock option uh, grants, but you use them. You know, as you start growing, the the, the grants become smaller and smaller. You um, have a, a VC fund or a, a startup, an incubator. What what is BAM Ventures? Is yeah, yeah. So so I've been angel investing for for a long time. So for over ten years, um, probably invested in about seventy companies uh, in the Los Angeles area. Um, and so just about two years ago, I, I finally put some structure to all my, you know crazy investing. All your harebrained schemes. <laughs> yeah. You brought all your crazy ideas under one roof. Exactly. What could go wrong? <laughs> um, so we kind of formalized, I, I, I have a partner named Richard John and we, we, we formed uh, BAM Ventures and basically we're investing out of that now. So we love backing entrepreneurs, especially, you know, in Los Angeles, although we invest, you know, in, in other cities as well. Um, what are you looking at today? I mean, you, you're, so most VCs and angel investors they have money, but they don't know what the heck's going on. Yes. And so there is, and I know I've got, and I say this, I have friends, like really good friends that are out there. And they ask me, mm -hmm. like, what should I be investing? And I was like, dude, that's not good, man. <laughs> <laughs> you need, this is like your job. Um, you, you're doing it. You're a practitioner, right? You're not someone who made it. Now you're done. Like you're, you're working, you're living this stuff, had multiple, you know, startups, you know, yourself, many of them exiting. So I would assume that you would know more than at least a lot of the people that I know who are in the VC and angel space. I know some pretty smart big guys, but so what are you looking at? What has you excited? What are the things that, that you invested in a company recently, but what more kind of more things that, 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 you know, are you looking at other things? What, what should we be doing? I mean, if, if we were going to model ourselves, cause a lot of the folks here, they're adding an e-com component to it or they're launching or they're, they're thinking about pivoting, you know, their, their business, maybe just a little bit. Um, what direction would you suggest we take if we wanted to appeal to someone like yourself? 
You know, it, it, it's interesting. It's like every time you think everything's been done, it hasn't. Right? You wake up every day and you're like, gosh, there's no more opportunity. And then something pops up. Right? So, so I, I, I'm a firm believer that, that things are always being innovated on and, and new bottles will always be created. Um, I'm really excited about, about augmented reality and virtual reality right now. I think it, it has, you know, it's at the nascent stages right now. But, um, you know, I was meeting with a company that, that was building what I thought was the first truly virtual mall. And it was, it was really exciting. I put on these um, Oculus glasses and I, I was like um, going through their rough kind of schematics and it, it, was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. And, mm. and basically, depending on the, on the shopper and, and you know, what they knew about that shopper are the type of shops that they would show that shopper. So you're sitting there and you're like lazy boy chair and you're like, yeah, honey, I'm going to Cabela's. <laughs> That's kind of yeah, cool though. So you're, you're doing a data-driven mall. So yep. the mall changes all, based all on driven, yeah. what you know about the past behavior of the people. That's right. That's pretty that's cool. Right. I think that's exciting. I think there's a whole new world in terms of virtual shopping. Um, I'm, I tend to be more of a consumer-facing guy, so those are the deals that I look for. Um, but I also just love technology. Mm-hmm. I saw this drone company that was amazing. It was based out of Germany, and 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 basically there was a drone the size of probably this, this whole stage. It was gigantic, but wow. it, it was a little capsule where, where it could actually transport a, a full adult about 50 feet today, right? Just program, programmatically. And, and, and you know, at the pace that evolution is going, it is within 10 years, I mean, that's, that, that 50 feet becomes five miles. And then it's going to be pretty amazing just seeing drones take people places. I mean, people talk about self-driving cars and autopilot and this and that. It, I, I think the future is in drones. So it's either, honey, I'm going to Cabela's or honey, I'm going to Cabela's. <laughs> right. <laughs> one of those, you're, you're looking for either of those. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So one of the investments that, that you made recently um, that, that launched was the one that you were telling us about backstage, Holler. Uh-huh. Um, Want to tell the folks kind of what that is and what attracted you to that? Because that's a thing that kind of falls into that everything's been done, but actually that's a pretty big thing that hadn't been done before, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur for, I, I'm an operator, so I don't have time to actually go and run something else. Um, but I, as an entrepreneur, I'm always coming up with these ideas. And, and one of these ideas was um, kind of a value store on mobile and, and add online. Like a Which, dollar store. Like a dollar store. Right. So, Do you guys have been in dollar store? Has anyone been to Dollar General or, or Daiso or... Five the amazing thing about that people walk in there just to see how much crap can I get for 20 bucks that's right it's that's recreation right. right it's yeah. consumerism is it's a treasure hunt yeah, yeah. Um, it's incredible it's, it's an industry that that has over 50 billion dollars of market cap just in the US over 100 billion globally and no one was doing it online like no no e-commerce no mobile commerce was was doing it online and and most smart people will tell you or most e-commerce people will tell you because you can't ship a two dollar item and make money or a one dollar item and make money, which is true, right? But what I learned after kind of you know, looking at that 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 business model is that the average cart at nine nine cent only stores was twenty three dollars. Ah, right. See, we didn't talk about that ahead of time. I already knew that. Yeah, it was twenty three dollars. <laughs> and so once you get to a twenty three dollar cart, the economics start to make sense. Yeah, right. The unit economics, and and so. You know, just looking at that industry, it was, it was really interesting because I have a friend who was the owner of Nine Ice and Only Stores. His name's Eric Schiffer. He's telling me all about his models. And he told me the most interesting thing. He said, 
our most popular store, our most productive store, is right on the edge of Beverly Hills. And I go, really? Right? And he says, it's great because it pulls from the north, the east, and the west, and they all conglomerate at this one, one store, and it, it, it performs so well. And in my head, I, I mean, I just, I just know that it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you want value. Right? I, I've never heard anyone walk into a store and say, please charge me more. Right? It, it's never like that. They're always looking for value. And so for me, it, but, but not everyone wants to go to, you know, some parts of town to go to a dollar store, right? So I, I saw this opportunity to kind of expand that, that $50 billion market even further. Because, I mean, if you can buy, you know, saran wrap for, for two bucks as opposed to two ninety nine, why not? That's all right. Yeah. So, and that goes a big point, a big question that we get when we're talking about the tripwire. Because what, basically what he's doing is creating a store of just tripwire items. You guys realize that? Is that pretty smart? So... A lot of the questions that people get is that I will ask us when we talk about this model is, dude, if somebody comes in at such a low price, isn't the value overall going to be less? Isn't it going to cause them to spend less? And the answer is no. So it ties back perfectly. I'm, I'm tying back perfectly what you just said to some of the things that we talked cool. about. Thank you for validating <laughs> some other things and didn't even plan that. So in terms of, of looking at that as you were thinking about investing that, um, it, there there is an app that we talked about, um, the Wish app, mm-hmm. that it, that is kind of that mm-hmm. um how do you how do you look at that when so, when somebody comes to or when you i think you had that idea actually but um when you say oh this is a great idea and they're like ah oh, these guys kind of sort of have it do you think about differentiation or how, how do you approach that yeah absolutely differentiation so so when you look at the items that are sold on wish it's a very different kind of product offering mm-hmm. it's all kind of made from china and and and, and exported from china and they're kind of like mostly electronics and gadgets and so forth. Whereas on hauler, it really is about inventory that we have here, right? So the shipping ties are much less, but it, it, it's, it's just a different kind of product offering. We sell a lot of kind of kids' toys as well as consumables, mm-hmm. consumable staples. It's, yeah, if you, it's kind of like this. When you, when you um, I think the reason why Wish is so successful, I think the reason why hauler will be so successful is because anytime you go into e-commerce retail, right, you always have to think Amazon is going to kill me. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're not thinking Amazon is going to kill you, then you're doing something wrong. Right. Just because they will. delusional. Exactly. Yeah. But, but, but when you look at the overall U.S. economy and, and what's happening in America, you've got the wealthy who are getting wealthier and you've got the poor who are getting poorer. The, the, just the, the, the wealth gap is, is growing at an, at an unbelievable rate. And I think you all know this, right? Um, but yet, when you look at retail, the fastest growing segment isn't even e-commerce. It's not Amazon. It's actually the dollar stores. Yep. It's the value chain stores. They're at their all-time highs, and they're, they're meaning and beating every quarter, right? So how is that possible? It's because if you walk into a Dollar General store or a 99 cent only store, 95% of the items in that dollar store are not available on Amazon, right? Just like items that you find on Wish are not available on Amazon. Well, a lot of them are yep. and aren't, but, but especially it's like when you go into, you know, nine eyes and only, I mean, you're not, you don't find Tide as a line of detergent. You don't find Crest toothpaste. I mean, every now and then they'll buy some closeouts and they'll offer you something, but, you know, it's more Shasta Cola than Coca-Cola, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think 
you know, that, that dollar play store is making so much money. So, so you mentioned Amazon uh, and, and definitely be aware of that. What are the things that, that across your, uh, your investments you're doing to kind of deal with that? Like from shipping to any kind of differentiation, how, how do you plan for that? Because I know initially you didn't want to sell on Amazon. And I think then you started about a year ago, was it? No, we're, we still also on Amazon. Oh, I thought, I thought yeah. they, okay. Well, our products are available on Amazon, but through third party. But not through you. Oh, I see. a higher price. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so we do not have a direct relationship with Amazon. Okay. So, uh, so how do you address that uh, threat slash opportunity that exists with I think that? I think it's a great opportunity. I mean, you know, will we sell our brand on Amazon at some point? Probably. Mm-hmm. But right now we're, you know, a four and a half year old business still building our brand getting great traction and building our own community, you know, and, 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 and building a, a good barrier around that community. Um, and so I think once that's strong enough, then we'll start selling on to Amazon as well. Um, it's interesting because we're, we're, we started off online as an e-commerce company because that's my background and the DNA of the company. But, you know, we started selling into offline channels too. So Costco was our first large retailer. And we sold kind of like a family size shamp- baby shampoo at, at Costco and it did extremely well. And we really kind of asked ourselves, well, like, what are we? You know, are we e-commerce? Are we offline retail? Like, what are we? And, and, and we came to this moment where we decided we're a brand, right? We're, we're a CPG brand and we really shouldn't care. We should be agnostic to how our products get into your home so long as they get into your home. Right. Mm, does this sound familiar? Mm, give me nuckies on that. You just, <laughs> thank you. And, and so, in other words, you're defining your business by the people you serve, not the product that, not not the by the people you serve, not not the way that you sell it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because for us, our mission has always been we want to create a healthier world. In order to do that, we have to be in your home, and we don't care now. You can shop online, you can shop offline, you can shop mail order catalog, so long as we're in your home. And what are you doing to, to build this? You said you, I love the way you put it. Uh, and because it's, it so encapsulates the theme of this entire event, right? Community built brands, content and commerce, not, uh, not just selling stuff, but really serving an audience and building this community. And you almost described it almost sound like we're building this, you know, this wall kind of around, you know, around our people. What are you, what are you, what are you doing to, to, to make that happen? Uh, are there people at your company that are in charge of that? Like, what does that process look like? What is it? Yeah. On a day-to-day basis. So, so community is extremely important to us. And it has been from day one, right? Because an engaged community leads to an uplifted brand. And no matter what happens to that brand, you'll have that community who will support you, right? And, and so what's really interesting to me is going into offline retail. You know, you, you meet these, uh, like I, I had never, I, I didn't even know what a planogram was, right? Like for offline retail. What a, what a planogram? Yeah. I don't think most of you guys know what a planogram is. This is what big retailers do to plan out their sets for the coming year. And we had to learn all this as we went. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's interesting. You look, you look at like a, like a, I'll, I'll use Tide as an example again, right? So if you go to Target and look for laundry detergent, you're going to basically find, you know, three or four shelves of Tide. And they call that boxing out. Right, so they'll come up with all these new formulas and scents and this and that, different sizes to box out the competition, right? And, and I found it really interesting because we do the same online, hmm. right? We just don't call it really box out, but we're building a social community 
that's boxing out all of our competitors. Because once they're part of our community, they're not part of yours, right? And so we, we really took that to heart and, and it's all about that engagement, that social engagement. So we do have, I think we have like six people on our social media team, right? Constantly creating new content and keeping that community engaged. When you look at our social engagement numbers, I think it's something like, like five times higher than the next CPG brand. You're just kicking the crap out of Tide? <laughs> well, no, but it's, it's true. I don't want to talk to Tide. Right. Yeah. No offense you to, can't talk to Tide. I mean, like, really, if we got Tide people in the room, my bad. But I don't want to talk to Tide. I don't know who's behind Tide. Right. I know the people behind Honest Company, right? Yeah, Mr. Tide. <laughs> Call it. I'd like to speak to Mr. Tide. Um, but I think what you've done is you've built a brand that, that's distinctly human. That, that, that is, is lovable, that, that you want to, to care about and you want to be a part of. And I think that's a, a big part of. Yeah, of I, think, I think the most successful kind of communities built on social, it, it really is about transparency. It's about authenticity. It's about sharing your story and being truly honest about it. Well, I think given that the clock has us, that is a perfect Let's place. Ask, I'd like to ask just one last thing. Okay. So, so Knowing what, what we've been able to tell you in the, the mm -hmm. short time that we had together about our audience of, of folks here, is there any thought that you would like to leave them with? Any uh, bit of wisdom, golden nugget, sage advice? or? Um... Um, I, I'd say there's a whole world out, a whole new world every day. You know, there's so many opportunities out there. Um, and I would say, try them, test them. You know, I, it's like when we started LegalZoom, I think we're advertiser number eight in the entire world who paid for a click. Really? Right? And that was the advantage of LegalZoom. We were very, very early because a friend of mine was in Pasadena was working on something called GoTo, right? Which became like Overture. Back and, in the day. Right? So, so we stumbled onto that. At, at Shudazzle, Facebook was early, right? We were in their beta tests for, for their marketing campaigns, right? And so we kind of grew very quickly with Facebook. And then with the honest company, it was really about social influence and how all these kind of YouTube stars started gaining so much traction. We caught on to all of them very early, right? So it, it, it's constantly changing, but there's opportunities all the time and, and be testing everything all the time because you're not going to know what's going to move the nail until you, until you test it. That's great. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Brian Lee, everybody. Give a round of applause. Thank you very, very much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. So, now, just, did that sound familiar? I promise you guys, we did not talk about this stuff ahead of time. I wanted to see, but notice how these themes keep recurring. When one person has a good idea, it's a good idea. When two people talk and they collectively create a good idea, that's cool. When two separate groups or three separate groups or 10 separate groups come up with the same good ideas separate from one another, it's worth listening to. And what you heard there, humanity, honesty, transparency, all of these things. And that's why I wanted you to hear from someone who's doing it, doing it in a big, big, big billion dollar way. All right. Um, so with that said, we are going to now take a very short break, uh, 10, 15 minutes. You do not want to, we're going to break up again, go to our respective corners, breakout sessions, but you do not want to miss James Altucher tonight. If you want to see what authenticity and transparency looks like, you want to be in this room. I didn't lie to you about Donald Miller, and I'm not lying to you about James also. You want to be in this room. With that said, thank you so much, guys. 
Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why private equity firms, family offices, big companies like Apple, Google, and some of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet do not start new businesses from scratch. They acquire already successful businesses. And when they do it, they instantly increase their sales, their profits. If they want market share, they increase that. They can get new products and services to offer all instantly. Hey, look, 90% of new businesses fail. 90%. Why not acquire an already successful business and increase your chances of success by 900%? What most people don't realize is you can acquire highly profitable businesses with no money out of your own pocket in pretty much any country in the world, regardless of your credit and without having to go find a bunch of investors or needing any experience. Look, I've been acquiring businesses for over 30 years now, and I cover the whole process in my epic investing strategy training, and I want to give it to you 100% free. Just visit businesslaunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available. Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why private equity firms, family offices, big companies like Apple, Google, and some of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet do not start new businesses from scratch. They acquire already successful businesses. And when they do it, they instantly increase their sales, their profits. If they want market share, they increase that. They can get new products and services to offer all instantly. Hey, look, 90% of new businesses fail. 90%. Why not acquire an already successful business and increase your chances of success by 900%? What most people don't realize is you can acquire highly profitable businesses with no money out of your own pocket in pretty much any country in the world, regardless of your credit and without having to go find a bunch of investors or needing any experience. Look, I've been acquiring businesses for over 30 years now, and I cover the whole process in my epic investing strategy training, and I want to give it to you 100% free. Just visit businesslaunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available.